As I mentioned in the announcements, we are in the Meals with Jesus sermon series, looking at different moments where Jesus is at table uh, with other folks. Happens a lot in the Gospel of Luke and, and seeing what we, what we learn in these great settings. Our scripture this morning is Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I I have bought a piece of land and must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm trying, going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The slave said, Sir, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alan Graham is the founder and CEO of Mobile Loaves and Fishes in Austin. He's also the lead visionary behind Mobile Loaves and Fishes uh, Community First Village, which I've talked about before up here, a a 51-acre development with affordable, permanent housing for people who are coming out of chronic homelessness. And Alan Graham details really how this whole ministry got its start, how it was born, um, how it came to be on, on his heart. Uh, In his book, Welcome Homeless, One Man's Journey to Discovering the Meaning of Home, I commend it to you. The officers and trustees of this church, uh, they read chapter two of that particular book as part of our leader retreat together in early January. And chapter two is is a chapter that tells the story of Houston Flake. Houston Flake is this homeless man, um, uh, and he's walking down... Uh, a highway in California. It's hot. He's just he's looking for shelter, some kind of respite, some kind of food. And if you read the book, you learn Houston Flake is uh, rather central to Alan Graham's faith journey and growth, and uh, that friendship really kicked things into gear. Houston Flake at this time, though, he's, he's walking on the highway in the distance. He sees a sign. It's a massive billboard sign advertising uh, that there's a, there's a church coming up. It has a big white background and big black block letters. God welcomes you. So Houston, he he follows uh, the road up to the sign and then the road that goes 
over to the church, massive church, closed, but the door opens. He's walking through the maze of hallway filled with children's art and all the rest. Hello? Hello, anyone here? Finally, he comes upon the kitchen area, well-stocked, and so he pulls out some bologna, some Kraft American singles, some Wonder Bread, and just as he's closing that sandwich up, the police come in. As Houston Flake ducks his head into the cruiser, he remarks in all sincerity, the sign said God welcomes all. So God must not be home right now. The next time you put on a dinner, as the message version translates our scripture, the next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your family and friends and rich neighbors and the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. Invite the people who don't often get invited. How Mark Twain once famously put it, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. Now, we hear stories like that of Houston Flake, and, and we, we can and, and do wonder about trespassing issues, security issues, safety issues. What if it had been a different person, different kind of person? All important, all well and good. Yet we can also never have those discussions and, and planning to such a degree that, that we accidentally bury the very plain and continual thing Jesus is saying here and a host of other places and other ways, invite the people who never get invited. For whatever reason, money, politics, history, record. And there's no getting around how profoundly uncomfortable those words are. Uh, both then and now, all of us can think of somebody or somebody's then who that might mean is invited. Just look at the life of Jesus uh, himself, particularly at table, right? He ate with tax collectors and sinners and people of that kind of reputation. That greatly disturbed the religious leaders. What's that mean when you're rubbing shoulders with them? He also dined with the religious leaders and the lawyers. And so that kind of scandalized all these other kind of common people who are like, Hey, we, we see right through the two-faced hypocrisy of some of those folks. He ate with the lepers, and that disturbed many who knew it was good and right to remain clean and clear of that disease, that misfortune. He ate with women even of poor reputation. Was that suggestive? Table fellowship is one of the most central and scandalous ways our Lord reconciles humanity unto God and one another. Tame, though perhaps it sometimes can appear, there is a radical reason we place a table at the center of our spaces of worship. And if we stop to think about it, in our times where the lines often get drawn quite thick, the table situated front and center is something of a declaration. A manifesto of, of something radically 
boundary-breaking. God welcomes all. Howard Thurman observes, Hatred often begins in a situation where there is contact without fellowship. Contact that is devoid of any of the primary overtures of warmth and fellow feeling and genuineness. The seedbed of hatred, not necessarily some awful, terrible, miserable thing that you can think of. The seedbed for hatred, there's contact. We see one another, we pass by one another, maybe we shop in the same places, we, we know each other on social media or know of each other on social media. Contact, but devoid of fellowship. Devoid of the table, devoid of the mutuality, the vulnerability, the engagement, the equality known there. The Greek word for hospitality, it literally means love of a Stranger. Someone whose life or ways or convictions or past are strange to us. Who needs to know that the table extends to them? Might some who need to know it afresh be among us, in fact, who are gathered for worship this morning? Jesus, he moves from these clear words about who to invite and, and then tells this parable you heard that kind of seems to muddy the water a little bit because the first people to get invited are people with means enough to go and buy land and have five oxen. They seem to be doing at least okay. And, and another one that's getting married, they have companionship. Only after all of them say no, do, do we go to the alleys and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. That just seems a little contradictory from what you just said. Well, there's a lot we can consider in the parable, a lot we can't get to this morning, but we might get most quickly to, to a big part of it uh, if we can hear with the ears of first century listeners who would have heard one of the more notable things they would have heard in this parable are the excuses made for not attending. Uh, the economic realities of, of, of purchasing a new land or, or buying five new oxen, hugely significant. Marriage uh, it was a, such a big deal in that society that one was excused even of requisite military service to be married. And, and so saying no to the banquet for these reasons, these were among the best and most legitimate reasons to, to say no in that society. Theologian Fred Craddock observes regarding this parable, the forces against which God's offer contends are reasonable. And well argued. But God's offer has priority not simply over our worst, but also over our best agendas. The invitation really is to all. It's just that some have so many good things to be about, so many reasonable things to be about, so many needful things to be about that they have forgotten how central the feast, how good the feast, how needful the feast. A few years ago, I came across a ministry that began in Spokane, Washington, some 15 years ago at this point. A guy named Kevin Finch had been in the restaurant industry, and so he knew firsthand one of the great ironies of that industry. 
that though it's an industry that offers hospitality time and again, day after day and night after night, the people who work in that industry are among some of the most overlooked. Wait staff, dishwashers, hotel maids, janitors, line chefs. It's an industry where drug and alcohol abuse can be high. Those living at or close to the poverty line, there can be many. Juggling ever-changing schedules with ever-changing employees is just a normal stressor. Obviously, not every restaurant, every, everyone's experience, but on the whole, it's an industry where Kevin himself, he calls the number one catch basin for the most vulnerable. So Kevin, who had left that, that industry and became a pastor, left the pastorate in 2009 to found this ministry called Big Table. Since then, every few weeks, Big Table hosts a huge multi-course dinner at, you guessed it, a Big Table. Elegantly put together, tables, napkins, silverware, all the rest, and it seats 48 people, this big table. Those invited, hotel maids, restaurant servers, line chefs, dishwashers, the cook. Kevin invites a different top chef in the area to the big table gathering to serve up their finest over several courses free of charge. At one point, Kevin gets up to speak a bit about the vision of Big Table and, and, and invites people at the table to, to reach for a piece of paper and pen that are in the middle of that table for all 48 of them, and they are to write down someone they work with who they know has a need, who they know is in a crisis right now. Always, always, there's a name. Those pieces of paper, all 48, are left at the center of the table. The ministry volunteers collect them at the end, and, and the, the main thing that happens between the big table meal that, that, that just occurred and the next one is all the coordinating and doing of the follow-up care. Delivery of diapers to the single dad that was mentioned on this piece of paper who's struggling to keep it together in this toddler and groceries to the 19-year-old teenager who's holding down three shifts. Sometimes it's, it's much bigger. A car to the single mom trying to make it to and from work and shuttle the three kids to school and extracurricular activities. But, but it all always starts with a meal among those who often go overlooked or uninvited. Ironically, some of the people closest to the meal itself. What a thought for a church located within a quarter mile radius of what? Three dozen of some of the busiest, most popular eating and drinking establishments in Georgetown. The next time you put on a dinner, invite some people who never get invited out, who cannot repay you. But you know what the, one of the other things that happens at these big table meals? Those who attend are given a renewed taste of just how good a thing they're part of. Hospitality industry people themselves rediscover how beautiful, how good, how needful 
the banquet. What would it look like to let our our hands drop the many good excuses, even the the many good responsibilities, and, and look upon Jesus this morning and say, I forgot about the taste. I forgot about the joy. I forgot about how big a thing we're part of. I forgot about how good a thing, how needful a thing. Can I again taste and see? The Lord is good. There's a reason we're doing a congregation-wide meal on Sunday, February 20th, 7th, following this service. One where we're, we're gathered worshiping at tables in the service and then sharing a meal afterwards. We need to remember the gift of the meal and the very unlikely people God calls to the table. There's a reason in Lent we're doing uh, five-week offerings of small groups that you can sign up for starting in about a week or so uh, because so many of us need to share in one another's porches and living rooms and just even glimpse again a taste of the meal and the unlikely people. And then generally, let's acknowledge, ours is a time where the hunger is running deep, both within and, and, and without, and, and, and it, is, it is a great and opportune time than if you are a people who put a table at the center of all that you are about. God welcomes all. May we find ourselves with renewed joy, discovering that, yes, we are invited And with renewed surprise at those on the left and the right who are also invited. Amen.